Please be seated. Good to see you. And um, I invite you to turn to the Revelation reading, Revelation 5, verses 1 through 14. It's in your bulletins. Uh, you can turn there in your Bibles as well. Uh, we're in an Eastertide series from the book of Revelation, and it's called The Hope of Glory. And uh, Revelation's a, a unique book. It gives us heaven's perspective on what happens here on earth in history. And it shows us the really hopeful good ending to all of human history, which is the triumph of Jesus Christ. So um, turn there now to Revelation 5. This is one of my favorite passages in the whole of Scripture. Charlotte Bronte's masterpiece novel is Jane Eyre. We meet Jane uh, as the book begins as an orphan. Both her parents have died, and she is left with cruel family members who abuse and bully her for the first 10 years of her life or so. The bullying and the abuse is constant. It never lets up. Uh, they condemn her, um, and despite Jane's intelligence and imagination and strong will, um, she doesn't have the language even to describe the injustice that she is continually experiencing. Eventually, Jane is sent to a boarding school, and all of her classmates are told that Jane is a reprobate that should not be associated with, so they treat her as an outcast, giving her the cold shoulder with the exception of one person with one young girl. Her name is Helen. Now, Helen is a fellow survivor of abuse, yet Helen is filled with hope even in that bleak school that they are both uh, sort of trapped in with the mistreatment that they receive, Helen has this vision of heaven. And that vision of heaven fills her with a type of love. It's a love from God that rests very securely in Helen. And she draws extraordinary strength from that heavenly vision that allows her to forgive that allows her to operate in strength, gives her a voice. Um, it gives her power to not only release grudges, but also resist oppression, even as a girl. And it is really that heavenly vision of the love of God that, that Helen gives as a gift to, to Jane. Um, because eventually Helen's going to contract tuberculosis and, and die in Jane's arms. Um, but Jane is going to take that vision Jane, who has been abused all her life, is going to receive that heavenly vision and take it into relationships, take it into society, take it into worship and discipleship, and she herself will become, she will live on and become a symbol of strength and virtue for the rest of her life. Now, maybe you can relate in some way with Jane. You may be a survivor of abuse yourself. You may be without one or both of your parents. You may have been denied justice and your voice taken away over the course of your life. It could be that you've been rejected by people that meant a lot to you or marginalized in a way that wasn't fair. In any case, uh, you may be at a point where Jane was when she was arriving to this school, which is just having lost hope, having lost hope. And this morning, I just want to encourage us because we have a friend like Helen, all of us do, and um, uh, his name is John. Uh, John the Revelator, John the Disciple, he has been mistreated, 
and thrown into a bleak prison, and he is likely an elderly man at this point. Most of his peers have been put to death for unjust reasons. And John was likely bewildered that his life was ending in this way, that God's plan for his life included so much pain and isolation and injustice being thrown into uh, a type of solitary confinement prison as he was. But it was there in his isolation that John received uh, a great vision. He was caught up into heaven. And he received a vision that he wrote down for the benefit of other sufferers, other survivors, other people who would look to Jesus. This vision offers hope to all of us um, who suffer in an unjust, tainted world. And it's that vision of heaven that John is going to impart to us this morning. Um, By looking into this vision, we regain our voice. And uh, because it begins with weeping, the vision really begins with a type of grief and weeping over something that hasn't been put right yet. And it ends with a, a triumphant singing of all of heaven and earth. And so if you have lost hope in this life, I wanna encourage you to step into this heavenly vision with me, this gift from our friend John. We're gonna look at three images in this vision, the scroll, the lamb, and the song. The scroll, the lamb, and the song. Let's look at the scroll together. Revelation 5, verse 1. This is John talking. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Now, a scroll, for those of you uh, who who don't know, um, is a, scrolls were kind of like an ancient version of a book or a database. And you can even imagine they could be you know, several feet in length, and you would roll them up. There would be like two cylinders, and you would roll up the scroll. You could unroll it, and it could be, you know, as, as long as this chancel here or even longer. You could store a lot of information on the scroll, be like a piece of parchment. You could write on the front of the scroll. You could write on the back of the scroll. And then when you were done writing, you would roll it up, and then if it was completed, you would seal it. And so this particular scroll is seated on an empty throne immediately to the right of Almighty God. It's a throne with two seats, one for Almighty God and one for his anointed king. But the one for his anointed king, it's empty. And on that empty, uh, on that empty throne is a scroll rolled up and sealed up with seven seals. Now, uh, the writings contained in this scroll are all of the promises of God. He made promises to make the world right from top to bottom. So in that rolled up scroll that's sealed contains God's solemn plan, his plan to feed hungry bellies on this earth, his plan to set the lonely in families. In that scroll contains plans to cast down tyrants and raise up the meek to end hatred and division and war and oppression. Inside that scroll is a plan, God's solemn plan to stop abuse forever and to silence lies. That scroll contains God's promises to heal, to save, to forgive, and to set all of humanity free. And yet, the scroll remains shut. Seven seals keep it closed. 
And verse two tells us, I saw, John speaking, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? It's a question that rings out through all of heaven. Someone worthy must be found to break the seals and open the scroll. Are you familiar with the phrase, you break it, you buy it? So there's something similar happening here that you break it, you lead it. If you break the seals, you're responsible for leading the process contained in the scroll. And there's never been a tougher job assignment than that. So verse three is the search process for a worthy candidate. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. It's the most extensive search process you can imagine. They look in heaven where the saints and the angels are. They look on the earth where there are people alive. They look under the earth, perhaps where people are buried. Is there anyone in all of human history or heavenly history worthy to open the scroll and make good on God's promises? Why couldn't they find anybody? What about the archangel Michael? You know, I mean, he threw down Satan, or he will throw down Satan at the end of history. Couldn't he open the scrolls and, uh, or open the seals and do what's contained in the scrolls? Well, the problem is that even, even the archangel Michael himself is not human. And these are human problems God is going to address, and he has already delegated it to a human leader. That was his plan all along. That was part of his promise. Well, what about the human race? Let's look at all the human race. Let's, let's look, I mean, who do you trust the most in all of your life? Who's the most trusted leader you could ever imagine? Think of the people in your life or think of anyone in human history. What about Mother Teresa? You know, for all of her kindness to, to the poor and the dying in Calcutta. What, what about Moses, the one who led the Exodus and, and, and was God's representative to give the law? What about Hannah, the faithful woman who prayed in the temple of God um, and who gave birth to Samuel and who was a key part in God's history? Or what about Martin Luther King Jr. or, or Joan of Arc, these people who, who gave their lives fighting for justice and, and, and facing down oppression? Like, isn't there anyone with the competence and the character to lead this process? You know, the conundrum is that for all of the great people in history, every single person is tainted. There's, a, there's at least a corner in every single human heart, me and you, everyone in history, people with good reputations and bad reputations, there's an evil corner of the human heart that always is there. There's a brokenness, and also we're a cursed race, we're under the curse of death. We're limited. We can't see everything. We're going to die. So it's a fruitless search. No, can't find anyone in heaven. Can't find anyone on the earth. Can't find anyone under the earth. And so God's plans are paused. Imagine that. You're in the throne room of God, and God's plans are paused Verse four, and I, John, began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. Now, just consider this, that there's weeping in heaven. 
there's real tears in heaven. And not just tears, but loud weeping. And in John's loud weeping, we could hear echoes of all of the cries of all of the people who have ever longed for God's good promises to come true. All of the people who have said, how long, O Lord, is it going to go on like this? We can hear the frustration for the lack of trustworthy leaders over the course of history. We can hear uh, the cries of desperation from people who feel trapped in generational poverty. We can hear the frustration of those who long for the world to be made right, starting with their own immediate worlds. John sheds real human tears on behalf of uh, everyone before the throne of God. We can't find a worthy person to open the scroll, which contains all of our hopes for wholeness and eternal life. How long, O oh Lord? John weeps. That's the scroll, and it sits there, pregnant with promises, right next to Almighty God. And then there's the lamb. That's the second part of this vision, the lamb. One minute, the scroll remains sealed, and it rests on the empty throne. John is weeping. The next minute, something changes, and someone appears. Verse 5, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 6, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, those are the two different places, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Have you ever had the experience of knowing someone who they were a kid, they were a teenager, and then you meet them later as an adult, and it's like a lot of years later, and you're just like, wow, you, you've grown up. You're totally different. You've really changed. I can see traces of who you are, but I can also see now there's this fullness. There's this unfolding of who you've always been intended to be. It's this strange experience because you're caught between, like, I recognize you, and that you're also different and transformed in a unique and great way. Now, for the first time since Jesus left heaven to become a man, he is reintroduced to the heavenly court. Um, this is his ascension, very likely, from the perspective of, of heaven, the ascension of Christ. Something has changed since Jesus left heaven and in, was incarnate. He comes back, and John sort of takes a moment to, wow, to sort of take in who Jesus is and his nature. On the one hand, he's a lion. He's a great conquering king from the line of David. On the other hand, he's a lamb. He's been conquered by the sinful people of the world. He, he was God's lamb who took away the sin of the world. He, he came to save us from our sin. On the one hand, Jesus is standing He's standing before Almighty God. He's standing in the throne room of heaven, yet he's also been slain. And that's also clear to John as well. He has seven horns, which symbolize power. And yet, he also bears the scars of humility. On the one hand, this lamb stands before the throne of God and the creatures. On the other hand, he is also simultaneously standing 
in another place with the elders, the human beings who represent the suffering people of God. Jesus Christ is honored in heaven, and yet it's on the other end of being abused, lied about, rejected, humiliated, tortured, and put to death on earth. His kingly rule and his humble heart are inseparable. His wounds are etched into his triumph. And every survivor can look upon this king and find great hope for their future, great hope for their redemption. And I want to share with you now the key moment, one of the key moments in the history of heaven. Verse 7. And he went, this lamb went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. This is Almighty God. God the Son takes the scroll of promises from God the Father. And it is the Father's to hand this over. He knows who is worthy. We can almost hear the echo and the reprise of the Father's words over the Son when Jesus was baptized. You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. Verse 8, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The church bows down before this Lamb lion with harps and incense. They're ready to offer praise and prayers on behalf of God's suffering people. So we've had the scroll. We see the lamb. And now finally, let's hear the song. Verse, eight, or verse nine, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Here's a song of praise from creation, from the suffering people, the creatures and the elders. They sing in triumph, become this conquering lamb, is now healing their world. He is the worthy seal breaker, and he is now taking up his throne, his kingly throne. We've been waiting for this leader. We've been waiting for this king. We've been waiting for him to make good on all of the very good promises of God to, to heal our very broken world. They celebrate that this lamb spilled his precious blood for sufferers and sinners, the ransom people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. This lamb sets free former slaves, captives, poor, abused, the voiceless, the stranger, the foreigner. And what does he do for them? He gives them belonging. He gives them worth and dignity as a kingdom of priests. He, he makes them queens and kings over the land that once oppressed them. And now they will bring his healing and justice and freedom that he won with his blood on the cross. They will bear their own crosses in his name. And many of them will spill their blood as well, not by force, but by choice, out of love. And in it all, they will overcome and they will lead all of creation into his victory. I don't know if you've ever led a choir. Have you ever conducted a choir? 
ever seen someone conducting a choir? I want you to imagine conducting a choir of angels in song. And not just a choir of angels, but a whole host of angels. Not just hundreds or thousands, but tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of angels with beautiful, powerful voices in song. Can you imagine how awe-inspiring that would be, how beautiful that would be? The thing that's really uh, significant here is that the suffering people of God are the ones that go first in song and the angels follow their lead and join in song, join in a type of call and response as the saints sing to the lamb and then the angels sing to the lamb. Verse 11, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's what the angels sing. Worthy are you, lamb, to receive seven Amazing gifts from all of heaven and earth. But then creation calls back and responds this way, verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. I hear joy in this song. Perhaps we can hear relief in this song as well, that finally someone is worthy to receive all these gifts, power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. You and I have to be careful who we give gifts to. You know that sometimes a gift can be, um, you know, inappropriate or harmful even to somebody. Take our wealth, for example. We have to be really you know, studious about where we're giving our wealth to. Is this organization trustworthy with it? Are they going to, to, to carry out the purposes they said they would do? And so here we have, at the end of history, or the center of history, someone to whom we can bestow all of our honor, all of our wealth, all of our power, because we know that he receives to give. When we give our, when we give our gifts to the living God in Christ, He receives it, he gives it. He's already shown it by shedding his blood. If he's given his blood, why wouldn't he also give away his wealth and power and wisdom? In the words of one theologian, if you are weak, the lamb is strong. If you are poor, you are rich in the lamb. If you are foolish, ask of God, because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in the lamb. If you are shamed or ignored, remember that you have all the glory in the lamb. If you are bereft, the lamb is full of blessing. What a vision. Charlotte Bronte captures how much this vision really can stay with us, even in death and beyond death. In the final conversation between Jane Eyre, who we met at the beginning, and her friend Helen, who dies in her arms. Here's the dialogue. Helen says this, I am very happy, Jane. And when you hear that I am dead, you must be sure and not grieve. There is nothing to grieve about. We must all die one day. Jane responds, but where are you going to, Helen? Can you see? Do you know? 
Helen says, I believe, I have faith, I'm going to God. Jane says, who, where is God? What is God? Helen, my maker and yours, who will never destroy what he has created, I rely implicitly on his power and confide wholly in his goodness. I count the hours till that eventful one arrives which shall restore me to him, reveal him to me. Jane, you are sure then, Helen, that there is such a place as heaven and that our souls can get to it when we die? Helen, I am sure there is a future state. I believe God is good. I can resign my immortal part to him without any misgiving. God is my father. God is my friend. I love him. I believe he loves me. Jane, and I shall see you again, Helen, when I die? Helen, you will come to that same region of happiness, be received by the same mighty universal parent, no doubt, dear Jane. And Helen passes on in dignity. Jane lived many years in this story, but they both carried the vision of Revelation 5 in their life and in their death. Let's carry this vision too, shall we? Into the summer, into our living, into our dying. This vision of the scroll and the lamb and the song. We can let this vision of heaven renew our hope though we weep over an unjust, tainted world. When we sing, my friends, we are leading the angels in worship. When we take up our cross, we're following the lamb into victory. When we cry out for justice, our prayers burn as incense before his throne. So let's take the vision. Let's carry it in our hearts. And let's do so in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.